Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 79 of Dean Discussions, what? the podcast where players guess 79. Wild. You Sorry. know what else is wild? I interrupted this you. Is... That's, that's wild. I never oh, do that. Yeah, I know. It was, it was shocking. Uh, I don't even know where I am now. Uh, you're you're Ryan Reader. Podcast for players and DMs um, where we cover lots of different topics. I'm Ryan. You're Ben. How are you doing? <laughs> I know. Sorry. I just totally, I did not mean to throw you off that hard, but as soon as you said 79, I'm like, holy crap. That's, uh, yeah. Much more than I was expecting, actually. Even though we've been doing this for so long, I know where we're we gonna, are. I can we're see gonna the break, notes, but we're going to break 80 before the end of the year. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. Yeah. That's super cool. You know what else is super cool, though, Ben? Um, playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, that is also true. Um, we don't actually have a guest today. I know it's really weird, everybody. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've been stacking them for a little bit. We've been we've been stacking them. We might take a little mini break uh, until the end of the year for that. Because, uh, but boy, there's a lot of other cool people we want to talk to. Mm -hmm. uh, but we do have some topics today that we've been wanting to talk about for a little while. Yes. And of course, those are those are a little harder to fit in uh, in guest episodes. So we're going to kind of go back and cover some of the stuff that's been building up that we've been wanting to talk about a little bit. And <laughs> one of those things is a listener email that thank you, Seth, for waiting so patiently. It's been sitting <laughs> in the inbox <laughs> for several weeks now, and it's just one of those really unfortunate things that it came in like. We, we have to set up the guest episodes, you know, several weeks uh, in advance. And so it was just one of those things where it's just like it came in. It's like, oh, crap. We only record every other week and we've got guest slots like for the, the next next two episodes. So yeah, we've only been here. holding on to it since October. So we're here. We have arrived. It is here. Uh, we are going to talk about uh, as our first topic of this uh, this evening. Success and failure in narrative systems. Mm -hmm. And so this is part of a bigger topic I've been wanting to talk about, but it actually worked out really well um, because this uh, this listener email kind of relates to it in, in some ways. Um, so uh, Seth writes in, Hi, Ryan and Ben. Uh, just to follow up from the Twitter discussion and the 1D&D play test <clears throat> using inspiration when rolling nat 1 or nat 20. I created a conversion for the Fantasy Flight Games Genesis, which is the Star Wars RPG, for a particular mechanic they use called Advantage and Threat. He's, he's changed it to Edge and Hazard to differentiate. Um, but after reading the test, uh, the one D&D play test, he thought it'd be cool to apply this narrative system to Nat 1 and Nat 20s to help mechanically and narratively determine what happens. So the whole thing that he he wrote is is longer but i'll kind of try and summarize a little bit so basically he's got this system uh where characters have a chance to earn an edge or an hat or a hazard if they roll a nat 20 or a or a nat one yeah this edge is, is a it, it's kind of based on uh from from like is it you said the star wars game star wars thing, with that yeah. that's like kind of levels of success and levels of failure so mm -hmm. it, it's it's incorporating that into you know, a D 20 roll, which is, yeah. uh, first of all, a challenge to do. So props for kind of working this out. Yeah. So, so basically whenever you roll a nat 20 or nat one, you roll on this D 12, uh, edge or, or hazard table. And the one through six are the negatives and the seven through 12 are the positives. So basically whenever you get a, a nat 20 or a nat one, you could potentially, get something uh, up, you know, something good, extra good out of it or something extra bad out of it. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a bunch of different ones, you know, like DM, uh, the, the person gains advantage on the next attack ability or saving throw. Uh, the person suffers disadvantage on the next attack ability or saving throw. A lot of them are just, you know, kind of, kind of opposites of each other as you go through. Um, and like Ben said, it's 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 a really cool conversion of of the Star Wars system. Um, and it certainly looks like it could work 
if that is the style of game you are mm -hmm. going for uh, with a system like this, uh, this would be something that I think uh, if I introduce something like this would be a session zero discussion. Definitely. Uh, and a here's this type of thing. What does everybody think about it? Yeah. So thing. He, he does give some examples of uh, like, you know, actual roles and everything going into this. So um, I'm just going to read verbatim on this. Uh, so example one, Ryan rolls a nat 20 on his attack after doubling the dice damage and applying uh, actually, sorry, after doubling the, the damage dice and applying all uh, all the, you know, additions and everything like that. He then rolls a D12 to determine if he gains an edge or suffers a hazard. So rolls a four. And in this case, one through six is a hazard. Uh, so Ryan consults the hazard chart and sees that he must subtract a D4 from his next roll. Now, this is where I kind of have my first misgivings about it, just because going from you know, uh, various levels of success or failure in a, in a system into a straight, you succeed or you fail, especially in like combat. Um, this can really kind of put a hamper on the good feeling that you have when you hit a nat 20. So whereas in star Wars, it's like, okay, I barely succeed. Uh, instead of, you know, you know, killing this dude, I might've just kind of wounded him in a leg or something. This would be, Hey, you have the best you can possibly do. But for example, you um, one of the, on the hazard uh, chart, one of them is uh, you get disadvantage on your next attack. So in that sense, if you miss, you kind of just even out the the high, awesome crit roll that you just did. So I can see where, like for me personally, as a player, this might not be my style. Now, I know that there are plenty of people who are out there who would, you know, enjoy something like this thing and give different levels of, of success or failure based on what you roll. Now, on the other hand, the other example that he has is Ben rolls a natural one on his attack. So natural one, of course I'm going to miss. Um, then he rolls a D 12 and gets a 10 gaining an edge. Now in this case, the corresponding mechanic will allow Ben to immediately move his character five feet in any direction without suffering an opportunity attack. Now, again, this turns a failure and gives it a positive spin on that. This I'm, you know, I'm, I'm much more prone to because to me, it's more fun of, oh, man, I just totally, you know, goof this up and failed big time. Oh, but it's not as bad as it could have been. Whereas if I rolled a hazard on there, that's like, oh, no, it's even worse than than just, <laughs> you know, um, it's even worse than I missed. Oh, I missed. And then also fell down. You know, this is what some people do with, you know, natural ones just in, in any connotation, they'll add that yeah, extra. Added effect. Yeah. So again, I know that there are people who would love to play with the system like this. Personally, if I roll D 20, I want everything to be positive from that. Yeah. I actually, uh, one of the first, first games I played in, um, after learning D and D, was with a DM who ran something like this. Um, and honestly, I, I didn't enjoy the exactly what you talked about. The, mm -hmm. the nat 20. Um, if I took a system like this, I would only apply it to nat ones where basically the nat one, like, cause right now, just from a game rules perspective, you roll a nat one, you miss. If you want to add on like the extra like bad stuff that could happen, I can see that. Like, and I think players would be much more accepting of potential extra bad that came from a nat one beyond just missing than they would something bad happening from a natural 20. Mm -hmm. In the same respect, I think a lot of players would also be much more receptive to something potentially good happening from a nat one, even though you missed. And so having that risk reward, that 50 50 chance on the nat one that, oh, I could still get something out of it or, oh, man, my character messed that up big time. Uh, narratively, I think works a lot better and mechanically and just from a player feel perspective 
is a lot more interesting than potentially having something bad that could happen with a nat 20. Yeah. Because with a nat 20, you're already doing the extra damage. You're auto hitting regardless of what the AC level or whatever of the, the enemy is. That's your high. You don't necessarily need something else on top of that Mm -hmm. as a, as a high. But that being said, um, if you were going to be bringing in the, you know, this, uh, uh, concept into your game not only having the the edge and hazard for a negative one or for a, a natural one you could just throw in the edge as an extra benefit for a natural 20 so in this case you know you score a natural 20 roll a d12 you roll run through six nothing happens so you don't get that extra added boost but if you roll a seven through 12 then you get that extra little bit so it's kind of like you know you get the cream really? of the crop on it so yeah. it's it, it makes the natural 20 even that more exciting yeah yeah no and i could i could totally see that too as long as like the the 50 bad was just nothing instead mm-hmm. and then you do have a chance to yeah no i i i could totally totally get behind that too uh, so yeah, that's, I think, I think there's a really good concept there. And in some ways, they like said a lot of this is going to come down to play style. Mm-hmm. Ben and I have somewhat similar play styles. Uh, and even though this, that's probably not as just as presented and written here, I know we just talked about it is not necessarily something we would enjoy as a play style. There are probably people who would. And so you should never discount something just because you don't like it. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, in all honesty, I can think of at least two or three people that I know personally who would like that extra little bit of, you know, narrative play and discussion around those, you know, critical failures and successes. And, you know, again, all the more power for them to them for, you know, enjoying that sort of mechanic and, I have to say one more time, Seth, that you did an amazing job translating this from an entirely different system into just the pure pass or fail. Uh, the fact that you have kind of like levels of success and levels of of like or levels of edges and levels of hazards in there as well does kind of show that you put a lot of thought into this. Yeah. And and honestly, just reading through this kind of sparked uh, a lot of this um this type, uh, this discussion that I wanted to do on mm-hmm. success and failure in narrative systems, because D and D, as is, is very binary. It's you win or you don't. And some people really like that. They like the just ease of okay, this happened. Yes, uh, this didn't happen. No, um, but I know there's a lot of people who do like more nuance. A system like Seth provided provides more nuance um, for those people that want it. If you don't want to necessarily mess with ones and twenties, though, there's a lot more you can do within the 5e ecosystem to provide non-binary pass-fail results. So think about it this way and this is this is kind of going back to the star wars system again uh you are trying to succeed at picking a lock dc for the lock is 20 your character rolls they get an 18 it's not quite there but Potentially in a non-binary system, there is another result for 17 through 19. And that result is, oh, you hear something click. It's not quite there, but you think you might have another shot at it. Mm -hmm. And you get to go again. And this time the DC is low. So there's a lot you can do. To bring in a non-binary system into D, it's more work for sure, because this is not the the normal game rules don't support this necessarily. Or you're not going to open your adventure book and see like 
this lock is a DC 20. But if you get, you know, three numbers lower than it, then, yeah. then uh, yeah. Or uh, you could do that in the opposite way too. You, you're picking a lock, uh, you roll and you end up getting a three or a four. Now it's not a natural one. So you didn't just like completely bomb out, but you might say, oh, you heard a, a crack. You think your tools might not last another go like that. So you can try again, but the DC is higher this time, or you've got to do it at disadvantage this time. And so you can narratively play those roles that would have originally been, uh, I got a three dot. You didn't get it. Mm -hmm. You can turn those into then a narrative moment to make things a little more interesting. If you get in certain ranges toward the top or toward the bottom. Exactly. And doing this is, it's kind of a choice and it's something that is hard to implement if it's, if you're not naturally doing it. You know, you uh, with the way that D&D works is, you know, your characters come up with something and they say, hey, I want to do this. You immediately have to think up of, you know, some sort of DC of what it would be, you know, the the actual skill that would be used for it and everything like that. And you might not instantly think of, OK, well, if they do three under, we're going to do this unless you make that choice to. It may take, you know, a, a little bit of getting used to. But once you do, I think it's going to be more rewarding to you know, your players and, and even just the storytelling itself, it gives the world again, something that we always talk about, which is, you know, something more immersive, something more, you know, you really feel more like you're there. Like in this instance, I'm trying to pick a lock say, I'm, you know, not the best at it. I get really close, but it's like, Ooh, I, I, I think I can really do this. And then, you know, you go in and you have that little like extra kind of, you know, boost of, of adrenaline, you get in there, you're able to, to, to pick it and open it up the second time that can totally work in real life as someone who owns a lock picking kit and has been playing around with it and is really bad at it. Um, I can tell you if I hear like a click and get really close to getting on those pins, it just emboldens me to try even harder. Uh, but you know, if I'm going through and, and you know, oh, something breaks in there and Oh, I've jammed the lock. That is definitely going to be something that's like way worse than, you know, just like a, oh, uh, you, you didn't make it on a five. Yeah. You know, I, I like that. Or or you, you you're you working on a, a lock on a door and you you hear a ping, something flies off. Maybe you alert a guard because it made a noise or something. I mean, there, yeah. there's a lot of different things just in picking a lock that you can do uh, to kind of, you know, again, add more appeal to it, add more tension, add more excitement. And, you know, th th it all comes down to being able to be creative and, you know, kind of have that improbability to, you know, think of something on the fly. But again, yeah. it it takes practice and it's something that you have to actively choose to do. Yeah, it all comes down to your DM comfortability. How comfortable are you with either coming up with these things on the fly or do you want to put in the extra work to come up with these things beforehand? Mm -hmm. Um this type of system, a non-binary system, can work out extremely well uh, or it lends itself very well for skill checks mm -hmm. uh, or ability checks um, because you can – it's very easy to go, okay, uh, we're, I'm going to do a non-binary system. It's going to be a, a plus or minus five. So if you didn't get it but you got within five of it, something potentially okay could still happen or I could potentially get another go or, or something like that, or I almost did it or I succeeded, but something, you know, something else type thing, or on the bottom end, the plus or minus five. Um, I didn't fully fail this thing, but there's something else I've got to watch out for now, or mm -hmm. it may make something harder in the future or something like that. So you could, you could, roll with whatever you wanted plus or minus three plus or minus five. Um, but it, it helps to have, um, that range for yourself because then you can just apply that wherever you go. 
think uh, like uh, an athletics check. I'm going to jump over this chasm to try and get to the other side. The DC is 20. I roll a 17. I'm using a plus or minus three system for my non-binary D&D checks. On a 17, you still make it, but you don't make it to the other side. You're holding on to the cliff edge, Mm -hmm. dangling for dear life, or you missed, but you grabbed a branch on the way down and you're still still hanging there. Whereas on the other side of things, I didn't roll a one and tumble to my doom, but I rolled a three or four and I tripped as I was going to jump and fell and grabbed a branch. But the branch I grabbed is on the wrong side of the cliff (laughs) that I'm wanting to get over. So now I'm teetering on the side that I was already on. Uh, because I failed, but not like horribly failed. And so it gives you, gives you some, you know, it gives you some middle ground in there, uh, to reward that or to not necessarily fully punish low rolls. Exactly. So it's like, yeah. And I rolled a 10. Uh, I, I fell into the ravine, but landed in the water. So we're good. (laughs) Um, yeah. You know, one scenario that I think that is perfect to, you know, kind of try this out with is really any sort of social interaction. Um, you know, if you're working with a shopkeeper or, you know, working to persuade or deceive or something along those lines, because just a flow of a conversation has so many ups and downs as it goes that it, it really is kind of the best way to to kind of, you know, get someone right there, maybe give them a little bit of extra convincing to give you that discount or conversations trying, are rarely binary. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you know, like Ryan, I'm trying to get a map from you and, uh, you know, I, I'm talking about, uh, well, you know, I can give you this 10 gold for it and you don't want that. So, you know, I start kind of working at it, maybe up it a little bit, uh, you know, and we can roll, you know, a few persuasion rolls or we can roll one then based off where that goes bring that counterpoint in and just kind of start playing around with it. That's probably going to be the most malleable, you know, skill check that you can work with is just some sort of interaction, uh, you know, that that's a conversation. Yeah, no, I, I a hundred percent agree. I think a non-binary binary system for like discussions, especially mm-hmm. can be make things far more interesting than, uh, than they would have been before. It's not just a, do I get this discount or do I not get this discount? It's a, oh, I get a little bit of a discount, but it might not be as big as I could have gotten. Or he doesn't completely reject me, but the price just went up. (laughs) (laughs) The price just went up. Uh, So yeah, no, I think, I think it's really interesting. Um, And then kind of branching from that, from uh, like the ability checks perspective, we see we actually do see this used extremely sparingly in the official rules for some monster abilities. Mm -hmm. There are, as I said, very few, but there are some monster abilities that actually will say if you fail by X amount then this extra effect happens. Yeah. I think that's super cool. I I really like the mechanical idea behind that. Although uh, at the same time, you could even uh, work in where if you got this much over the DC, something extra good happens at the same time, right? Uh that's that's part of the whole system. You want a good balance in a non-binary system. So, hey, the DC is 20. I got a 25. That's great. You got it and you got a little something extra. Yeah. And, and just for a, a, an exact example, um, I've used these in my campaign. The, so you, you're finding just a normal drow uh, hand crossbow. 
You know, if you get hit with that, they have to make a DC 13 constitution saving throw or be poisoned for an hour. If the save, uh, a saving throw fails by five or more, the target is also unconscious while poisoned in this way. So there's your extra little bit of failure on top of that. So, you know, if, if they're rolling in an eight or lower, they're going to have a bad day or a nice nap. You know, either, either way it goes in combat. <laughs> Depends on how good your friends are. Exactly. Or if they shake you awake, you know, you're, then you're fine. But <laughs> um, yeah, so re- read that poison thing again. Yeah, it's uh, let's see. Um, the target must succeed on a DC 13 constitution saving through or be poisoned for one hour. If the saving throw fails by five or more, the target is also unconscious while poisoned in this way. The target wakes up if it takes damage or if another creature takes an action to shake it awake. That's cool. Uh, Just going along with our theme, you could add something to that and say, if the saving throw succeeds by five or more, you become immune to that poison. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, this is just one of those little things where, um, hey, we like to fix monsters. <laughs> Maybe we should start adding, you know, some of these things into their abilities that we're coming up with. Well, I mean, it's it's just um, th- that's the kind of stuff that you can reward players for being who they are or being their character mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, uh, because I may have a character who's super specced into to constitution. I have really good constitution saving throws, but you don't get a do a constitution saving throw super often, like as a barbarian or something like that, unless you're getting poisoned a lot of the times. So why not uh, have something where I can reward that character for being that character? And just being cool. You know, you got a really good con save. You don't have to worry about this poison anymore. Mm-hmm. Your body just rejects it like full full out. It's it's the same concept as if you have a monk in the party, make sure that there are enemies that are throwing javelins or shooting crossbows or something so that the monk has the ability or the chance to take those projectiles and throw them back. It's letting your player characters be good at what they can do mm-hmm. and sometimes getting benefits from that. So in, if you choose and again, all this is homebrew. None of this is none of this is official beyond like Ben was talking about. There's a there's a few monsters that have this. Usually it's a fail by X amount or more. Uh, but if this is something you decide to do. There can be good things that happen at the same time as uh, bad things if you get too low. Yeah. And you know what? I got to say, I do enjoy this sort of stuff. It's, you know, it gives that, again, that extra little dimension that's in there. And uh, I know my some of my players listen. Uh, I will try to incorporate this stuff. It might not be so great at the beginning, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah, it's. That 5e is is great because it's such an open framework and it's in a lot of a lot of situations, at least it's very easy to add in more depth and complexity if that's what you want. I mean, heck, there was a group that made uh, an advanced 5e. Mm-hmm. Like a full a full advanced 5e that just has makes it more chunky as far as like mechanics and stuff go, you can take that as far as you want, but especially if you are really in a narrative heavy game, um, something like this can add that extra bit of spice to a system that doesn't really have the ability to do that as is. Exactly. And that's one of the things about 5e that I love is that it it is just so flexible and malleable that we can kind of do what we want with it. Yeah. Yeah, there's I know some people some people consider that a a con and I (laughs) I can totally understand. It's just like we're making all this stuff up ourselves. You know, why are we paying for it or (laughs) whatever? (laughs) 
but I, I, I consider it a pro. I love, I love the idea that I just get the like framework for something mm -hmm. and then I can make that framework something that works for me. That is fun. And hopefully along with the collaboration of my players is something fun for them. Yeah. It's like uh, standing up and doing PowerPoint presentation. You want to put the outline on the slides, not every single speaking sentence that you're going to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Uh, but yes, again, Seth, thank you so much for sending that in. Uh, I think it sparked off uh, a really good conversation and uh, you did a lot of work and made me go look up Star Wars stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> that's never a bad day <laughs> when I go look up, look up Star Wars stuff. Yeah. It's a really uh, interesting is, system. It's a, it's a, it's a system I've always wanted to play and I've just never gotten the chance to, but I've heard, I've heard very good things. Um, I got far enough that I was able to make a character and then we never played. That's so sad. It is. I have a lot of Star Wars characters that I've made that I've never played. Hmm. But maybe what we should do is we should go on that uh, startplaying.games website and find find us a Star Wars game. That would be fun. I'd be a Wookiee. I'm almost always a Wookiee when I do that. <laughs> I would be an assassin droid. Ooh. Just an that, IG model. Yeah, I mean, that sounds cool. I mean, Mandalorian, he was super cool in the Mandalorian. So, you know, yeah, why not? Right. Then we can reprogram you to be a babysitter. <gasps> Oh, no. <laughs> I made a huge mistake. Uh, spoilers uh, for the first season of Mandalorian, which if you haven't seen <laughs> it by now, I'm it's worth it. <laughs> it yeah, it's very good. Um, all right. Cool. So uh, moving on. I know we talked a little bit about uh, the monster stuff, and we can kind of integrate that a little bit into this next discussion, too, because we're going to do a little bit of a monster fixture segment. Uh, we've been talking about this one for a little while. We wanted to speak on undead because yes. there's a lot of really interesting stuff that you can do with undead. And there are, uh, to be fair, several very good undead monsters in official D&D. Uh, but there are also several really, really bland ones as well. So we wanted to talk a little bit about just like general things you can do to, to spice up uh, undead characters or undead monsters. And uh, it's, it's funny that we're talking about this now because, uh, you know, we had Brian service on uh, a few episodes ago. And at the time, 2C Gaming was doing their uh, uh, grimoire of uh, grimoire of the of the dead. I'm, I'm forgetting the name, full name off the top of my head. Um, Grimoire of the Grave. That's it. That has uh, a ton of un it's all like a big book of undead monsters, uh, subclass, all that sort of stuff. And they've got a section that has like modifiers that you can add on to kind of mix up the undead stuff. So I think that's a really good place to start. Right. There's a lot of flavor that you can give undead creatures beyond just uh oh look they're they're dead or they're they're weak against this cleric thing <laughs> or or they uh have a chance to pop back up which is actually i think a pretty cool mechanic um the i believe zombies uh have mm -hmm. that where yep. they can yeah pop back up potentially after they they get knocked down all the way uh but Flavor those things. Um, undead that use limbs as weapons. That's always always some really cool flavor. The regeneration is also a very cool flavor. A lot of the undead, you have a lot of necromantic magic going on. So regeneration of some sort is, is super cool, especially if you take mechanics from other things like uh, trolls. Yeah, trolls do regeneration, but it can be stopped with like fire. Um, so you could flavor in like regeneration that stop with radiant damage or something like that or fire because <laughs> <laughs> not not a whole lot likes fire. Let's let's be let's be honest. Yeah, um, not a ton. 
yeah but there's there's a lot of stuff that you can you can do with that uh also undead make really great minions mm-hmm. uh there's there's a reason there's the whole stereotypical hordes of the undead they do make really great minions they make really good cannon fodder to throw at your party uh for a distraction or uh I, I i think we've talked about this before i highly recommend the mcdm flea mortals uh minion rules incredibly well designed minion rules for 5e that are basically you know one hit kills based upon the the types of monsters that you have and undead make perfect perfect minions for your dark lord or your necromancer or your vampire um or whatnot to to have some of that that cannon fodder and really give your party the opportunity to feel like they are hacking and slashing through you know dozens of undead without having to run individual stat blocks for absolutely everything yeah Exactly. I mean, you, you always have that hope of fighting an undead army, but then, you know, you, you don't really want to go through combat of each individual turn for each individual skeleton for each individual encounter between them and stuff. So, yeah, modified rules for that. Definitely the way to go. Um, so for for my monster fixer, I had a couple things that I just, you know, wanted to switch things around with. And uh, first and foremost, I would think that if a rotting corpse bites you, you're going to get an infection of some sort. Um, I had just the idea of that, you know, you, you get some sort of necrosis from it. Um, you know, basically you take off the damage, lower the hit point camp uh, to, you know, whatever it was at that point. Um I'm not for one to permanently do that. So I would say, of course, after a long rest, you give that your body that chance to heal your hit point cap would go up. Or if you had like a remove curse cast on you or something along those lines. Um, another thing that I think is great. All these skeletons have, you know, bashing damage, you know, because they're smacking you with their, their arms and hands and stuff. But, you know, if the skin is is kind of, you know, decaying and ripping off, give them slashing damage in the very least, uh, because, you know, just skeletal fingers and stuff can do a lot of damage that way. And on top of that, give them some necrosis, necrosis at that point, too, because if you're breaking the skin, that undead materials, you know, going to be mixing in with you. So not a fun thing. Ew. Um, yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> Um, and then this I'm totally stealing from like the Final Fantasy games, but cast healing magic on them because, you know, uh, undead are basically like negative health if you really think about it. So if you cast something healing on them, you're just bringing them back to zero and and uh, balancing that out. I, I just look at it as like holy magic versus just, you know, necrotic magic, just kind of fighting each other and, you know, diminishing each other. I, I kind of like that idea behind that. Um, and then casting again, heal and doing like 70 points of damage. Yeah, exactly. Like, bam. Yeah. That'd yeah. Be pretty- Especially on like some big hulking thing or something, you know, like, like an undead giant or like uh, some sort of abomination that's just stitched together from all these different undead creatures. Um, I, th- I think that'd be great. Uh, plus it, it really gives those healing classes a chance to, to like literally shine as radiant d- damage is just flying out of their hands. I think that's really cool um and then of course you know one other thing too is that if you're undead you're 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 diseased you've got bugs you've got maggots you got you know smells just give them this this cloud around them you know you know if it's just one maybe just like a five foot perimeter where if you get in close you're gonna have to deal with that stench that smell you know maybe make a con save throwing in there or if you got a whole mass of them you know just make that exponentially bigger and bigger so that, you know, your heroes have to do something to combat, not only just the undead, but just the environment that they're fighting them in. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to touch on uh, some layer stuff because there's Mm -hmm. certainly a ton of really cool undead layer type stuff that you could do. Uh, one more thing I did want to mention, though, before we touched on that is uh, a concept and I'm stealing I'm stealing the phrasing from uh, Total War Warhammer and potentially, you know, the Warhammer game. I don't 
play the the fantasy tabletop, but I've played oh so many hours of Total War Warhammer uh, in in my day. Nothing wrong um, with that. Yeah, and one one mechanic I really like the idea of is something called crumbling, and this is basically uh, like the magic that holds the undead together. And if it weakens, they slowly deteriorate down to nothing. So you could have a super interesting encounter where you have several like smaller necromancers or casters or some sort of, you know, magic users that have and then a bunch of undead with them. But sets of these undead are tethered to these particular casters. So once the party figures it out, as they take a caster out, all of a sudden you start describing, oh, these this chunk of undead begins to slow and start to fall apart. And then maybe within a round or two, all of those skeletons or all those zombies or whatever that were linked to that caster, they die. And gives you this very interesting uh, secondary objective, then instead of trying to kill like all the things at the same time, you now have targets to go after that will then relieve you of chunks of enemies. You're fighting. I'm going to take that and completely turn it into something else as well. I like the idea of, of, you know, a group of tethered undead together. Right. But look at it as energy is, you know, it never changes. It doesn't disappear. You can't create or remove it or whatever. I don't know the full law. Don't quote me on that. Whatever. <laughs> so you kill one group or one of the undead. The rest of them pull some of that energy back to them and become a little bit more powerful. So then by the time you get to the final one, it's your boss. Yeah. And I, I've seen there's uh, that is a very popular MMO mechanic uh, to where you have to figure out, oh, there's these three or four bosses I'm fighting at the same time. When one dies, all the others get their ability. So I have to take them all down low at the same time to keep them weak mm -hmm. and then try and finish them all off at the same time or very quickly within a short period of time from each other to keep myself from having to deal with this full health Hulk that now has all the other abilities <laughs> of the other three undead I was fighting. That could be a super cool battle. What if you were fighting the Hulk wearing Iron Man armor, wielding Mjolnir and cap shield? That sounds terrible. Yes, it does. I would whittle them all down separately and then focus with my group to kill them all in <laughs> one round. Good call. <laughs> but that's a that's a it's a cool thing because the party has to figure that out and most likely they won't until the first one goes down mm -hmm. and then they see oh this thing transferred all these it's very easy narratively to say oh uh these three all of a sudden get a little bigger uh they grow an extra arm or they start doing whatever the special thing was that the one the party just killed, they all start pulsing the 15 feet of disease cloud. And then the party goes, oh, oh, crap. Mm -hmm. They're they're sharing. And so then all of a sudden the whole battle entirely changes from a strategy perspective. I so I mean, just from the the bare minimum that you can do is give them that extra limb. Then all of a sudden they have a multi attack, uh, multi attack where they didn't before. Yeah. yeah. I, oh man. I want to throw undead at my party now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's cool. That's cool. And that's, again, that's not limited to undead. Yeah. You could do that with lots of elementals. That'd be a really cool I mean, elemental magic exists. Do. It doesn't matter yeah. what you use it with. <laughs> Exactly. But for undead specifically, it's it's certainly cool flavor and would make for some some really cool fights. Um, layers. There's so much you can do with undead layers. Uh, you're fighting something big. Grasping hands. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, skeletal hands reach out of the floor. They try to grab 
grapple, restrain the party, potentially make them easier to hit, um, make it so they can't reach wherever they are. They're they're trying to go. Uh, that's a that's an easy one. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, if you're on like a desecrated, you know, battlefield of some sort, you just keep adding skeletons. They just keep coming till the, you know, the, the BBEG is dead or, you know, you, you yeah, finish like a constant, ritual, a constant spawn a mm-hmm. stream. That's, that's why I really, I love fights that, are, and you, you can't, you don't necessarily have to, or you can't necessarily do this all the time. It's really fun to have fights, especially ones that, uh, you can really plan out that are less, you know, spur of the moment that have multiple objectives. Mm-hmm. Whereas like there's three different things happening. There's the bad guy fighting, but then there's this altar over here that has this extra thing that is powering something over here that is making their, their lives more difficult. So now they have to decide, do we just try and focus on the boss real fast and take him down? Or do we split our attention or do we try and take the secondary objective out? So these stupid skeletons stop spawning and getting in our way and making us make little concentration checks constantly. Yeah. It's just one of those fun things. Again, we talk about an undead army and where they come from the ground, (laughs) the ground. Yes. Um, bone shields. Uh, I love the idea of like regenerating armor, Mm -hmm. uh, where you can have an undead that has, or, um, some sort of zombie or something, some bad guy that has this like bone armor that regenerates. But if you do enough damage to it, you can break it maybe completely, maybe for a certain amount of rounds, all of a sudden AC goes down and they're vulnerable. That's another, again, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these types of things are, you just got to look at MMOs. Yeah. And you can, there's so many awesome MMOs with raids and these bosses that have these really cool mechanics that just steal them, just pull them straight into your game. Uh, it's it's not really too hard to to do that kind of stuff. Make them have this strength, but if you do X, Y, or Z, it turns it into a vulnerability, maybe for the whole time, maybe for a little while, but it gives fights a sense of progression two so that the party goes okay if we focus on this certain thing we can make them weaker or oh they've been it's been regrowing the armor at the beginning of the turn but we hit it enough and it broke this turn so we got the whole rest of the round where it's got negative three ac or it's taking double damage or something like that yeah, exactly. You know, and that's one of the things that we always say about uh, D&D and running a game is steal. Well, not, you know, steal, but like copy, pull from everywhere. Anything that inspires judiciously you. borrow. There you go. I like that. Um, judiciously borrow mechanics from different things that you've seen. Ideas from, you know, pop culture. Um, anything that you can think of, you know, Again, fifth edition is made in such a way that you're able to kind of mold and change it and, and do the things that you need to do to, you know, get the results that you want and add the type of gameplay that you really think that your players would, would enjoy. So if you're pulling from MMOs, the best part is you don't need invisible rabbits in order to target certain things. And if you know that story, you're awesome. If you don't look it up, um, but uh, even more so, it's just. It, it, it's really great, you know, branching out, trying different things, you know, especially games. Uh, video games are a great place for this. Um, reading comics, movies, everything like that. Pull your final battle from episode seven, season three of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You know what? If someone recognizes that's what it is, cool. If not, that's cool, too. As long as your players are enjoying it and having fun and it's, you know, something different and new. You got something fun. Yeah. I wonder what totally episode I just said. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure. I'm sure somebody does. Yeah. Hopefully it's a good fight. Otherwise, yeah. <laughs> maybe don't pull from that one. <laughs> uh, well, 
hopefully some of that was useful and you can uh the next time you use undead or prepare your big boss fight uh some of that will be handy advice uh to kind of spice things up all right uh so before we kind of wrap up and go into what we've been doing in our campaigns there's just a little bit of housekeeping first off uh dnd beyond is going to be having their black friday sale uh of course black friday will already be over by the time you hear this episode also happy thanksgiving u.s listeners (laughs) (laughs) we're just we're just uh blazing through everything but this episode will be coming out on cyber monday so if you are listening to this episode cyber monday is when dnd beyond is supposed to be having their biggest sale it'll be 1999 for all dnd books the, the, well, let me stop you right there. Uh, first of all, yes, yeah, Cyber Monday, very big deal. However, the sales going through December 4th. So yes. it is for a little, you know, just about two weeks. So by the time this does come out, you do have a chance. But definitely, if you listen to it today, the day it's released, it's Cyber Monday. Get in there. Get your books. That's when that's when the biggest sales are. But otherwise, it's a. I think it's at least like 20 percent off of just about uh just about everything the the dice uh the books um the any of the 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 subscriptions uh anything else so definitely check that out if you are a big D beyond user and of course check your friendly local game store uh for black friday sales on DD books um amazon almost always has sales on DD books as well for black friday so be sure to check all those locations if you're looking to fill out your library exactly also um Dragonlance, uh is coming out december 6th uh this is a new adventure book i believe it's levels one through 11 and it also has the tie-in with the brand new kind of strategy uh board game that is coming out as well, though I believe it's that it, an optional component, but uh, you can use it to simulate large scale battles, which is kind of cool because this is the first uh, official large scale battle simulator that Wizards has is done, at least for this edition. Um, if you don't get that and you still want to simulate large scale battles, I highly recommend MCDM's Kingdoms and Warfare which has a really great system for simulating large scale battles as well that you could probably kind of work into a Dragonlance campaign. But that is officially coming out December 6th. It's in early access right now if you bought the digital physical bundle directly from Wizards, but otherwise uh, it is coming very soon. So if that sounds like something interesting, definitely check that out. Also, for our community content shout out, uh, going in another third party direction, uh, Kobold Press just recently released Tome of Beasts 3, uh, the latest in their large scale monster books. Uh, There's two more of those, uh, as well as the Creature Codex. And all of their monster books are absolutely amazing. Uh, The monsters are usually a little more (laughs) challenging than equivalents of uh, official as well. So if you are looking for more challenging, uh, unique creatures, those Tome of Beast books are absolutely fantastic for pulling stuff from. They run the the gamut. Usually, you know, two, three hundred pages of different monsters so i always get them (laughs) i always back them for extra inspiration and the pdf and hardcover are available now and we'll have a link to the website in the show notes if that sounds interesting to you it does sound interesting to me and i'm glad you're gonna give me that (laughs) link because it's not in the notes at the moment and i'm already on cobalt press and looking for it and this stuff looks really good yes really good stuff got to add it to the notes it's there now woo yes very cool but nice uh because i i I am a sucker for monster books i absolutely love them um i 
as as many of you uh, longtime listeners will know, I love making my own uh, or tweaking them, but uh, there's a just massive amount of extremely high quality third party monster content. Um, so if you are looking for more, those are always great. Yeah. All right. Uh, with that, I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, as always, we are going to take a few minutes to talk about what we've been doing in our campaigns. So, Ben, what has happened since the last time you gave us a rundown? Nothing. That but easy. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, something that I forgot to mention last time is, uh, OK, so. Again, my party went through, they defeated that second dragon. Sentinel, I hate it, but it's great at the same time. Dragon's dead. So my paladin, after going through really rough battle, getting taken down to hit points, you know, like her hit points were a roller coaster the entire time, just up, down, up, down, up, down. Um, she has a thing about wanting to be clean, especially after battles. So they're in this volcano. She's taken down a second dragon. She's like, okay. I'm going to pull out the thing that Ben made for the DM made, you know, as a homebrew thing. Uh, I will tell you it, it's the uh, adventure tech portable shower. So she pops it down, gets it going. And Ryan, I, I think I told you about this. I think I told the listeners about this, how there's a 5% chance of summoning a water elemental water elemental. Yeah. 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 So she rolls her D 100 and gets a five. So everybody is somewhere else far away. And all of a sudden she starts the shower up and a watermelon elemental pops into existence out oh, of no. the shower, just standing in front of her. And I'm like, okay, real talk. Would you have taken your armor off before you started the shower? And, you know, we had a little discussion and, and I totally believe her. No, she would have got it going. So to make sure that the water was hot enough and all this stuff going first before, you know, actually taking off the, uh, the armor and getting everything ready and stuff. So it's like, okay, your armor's on. Let's go ahead and do this fight. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she fought a shower element. Yeah. In, uh, uh, in a volcano with two dead dragons, <laughs> a volcano with two dead dragons. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like a D&D &D thing. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, they're level 12. It, it, it wasn't going to last very long. But just the fact that it happened after all this stuff was absolutely amazing. And I, I forgot to tell it in the last episode. I was I, I'm so glad that I put that stupid line about a 5% chance of a water elemental coming through because the only way that this works is that it pulls water from the the elemental plane of water. And it just I had so much fun with that. So that that stupid little joke paid off at the absolute best time it could have. What a fun little cherry on top. Yeah, it was great. I mean, yay! you killed the dragon. Everybody's all happy. Let's loot stuff and find all these things. And they, they rescued a, a, a gold dragonborn who was, uh, you know, stuck in a sarcophagus for three years. And then a water elemental attacks from a shower. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty great. You mean a shower element? Yes, exactly. A shower element is a difference. Yeah, is a difference. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, what about you? Uh, were you able to get together and uh, do some D and Ding? I was. So my uh, Friday night group played uh, this last Friday, and they finally reached the temple that they have been traveling to. This temple of the heart. Uh, the Thing that held uh, at least originally the source of all natural magic on the continent. Um, so it was it's it was fun that they were they were finally able to get there. I had a fun little like little mini puzzle for the door uh, where it was essentially this circle um, carved into the stone. And on top, there was a, a little hole. And then on the left and right and bottom, there were these little containers and there was little carved symbols above each of the four posts. And it basically ended up translating to uh, fire, water, air, earth. Mm -hmm. And so it ended up, they needed to, you know, light a fire in the container of the fire one 
water in the container the of the one that it looked like it had rain coming down take some dirt earth and put it in the the bottom one and then blow into yeah. <laughs> the the hole on top and so it was it was a fun little thing uh they were able to figure it out fairly quickly which i was like whoo because sometimes with puzzles you never know you never know if uh if it's going to be as easy as you think it's going to be in your yes, mind yes exactly but it was a very it was a very thematic thing and it wasn't supposed to be super hard or anything because this is something that uh the the people who were there or who used to caretake the temple would have done uh just as a ritual mm-hmm. essentially uh so they walked into the temple uh they lit some braziers uh that were of course dark uh the temple is this really cool mix of uh kind of built and organic and so there's a lot of natural growth but a lot of the uh built stuff was seeing decay so you know fallen pillars and everything uh and the fires they lit drew the attention of this vine that dropped from the ceiling the vine then grew a face and started talking to them and uh, said its name was uh, Eva and it had not seen people for a long time and was wondering if it would play uh, with them, if they would play with it. And all the while it was giving off super creepy vibes. Yeah. As they were kind of looking around uh, because this whole place has been corrupted. So they know they're probably not going to find much in the way of goodness and and happiness here. It turned out it was spreading these spores the whole time it was talking to them. And uh, I made them all make con saves. Only one of them made it. The oh. rest of them were all kind of like transported visually like uh, hallucinations, essentially, mm-hmm. to a memory of theirs. So I, it was really cool because I was able to work all their backstories in except one who saved and I <laughs> had some really good stuff for his character, but darn it all. Uh, I'm not going to not going to uh, yeah, force not it, gonna fake it. Yeah, not going to force it. So uh, but I got all the other I got the other three. Um, so it was I was cool being able to craft like a memory from their backstories in some way. So like our, our Warforge saw was on this airship that was crashing and under attack by this other faction. And our monk uh, basically was in a memory of a uh, trading deal gone wrong where they tried to kidnap her for, for ransom. And our druid watched uh, at the edge of the forest as Drow burned his village. Oh, wow. And so those, then are, some, they begin, those are some backstories. Yeah. Yeah. Then they begin to attack. But and this is this is where I, I did probably one of the most complicated things I've ever done as a DM, because I interwove all the things that were happening in their backstories with what their characters were actually doing at the time. Mm-hmm. So as one character saw a man with a knife trying to kidnap her. Another character saw that person fighting back who is actually the player character. Yeah. So they began attacking each other because they saw each other as, as something the else. enemies yeah. in their own hallucinations. And so we jumped back and forth in a like pseudo initiative between all their different stories and then jump back to the character who was not affected by all this. And he had to try and figure out a way to snap them out of it because he saw them attacking each other, but they only saw their visions Mm -hmm. and all the visions I was describing the things kind of happening at the same time, but from their perspective as we did each person's each person's turn. And then the other guy who's out not only has to figure that out, he has to deal with a demon vine plant creature that's really mad that uh, he wasn't joining in the hallucination, killing each other off <laughs> thing. So it was it was a wild encounter That's cool. uh, as he used this telepathy he had to break through to each of their minds 
and say, no, you're attacking each other. Snap out of it, um, which gave them the ability to make saves. Yeah. And pull themselves out of the out of the illusion and then slowly help each other out uh, and then defeat the crazy vine plant creature that had caused all this on the ceiling and they burned it with fire. But it was uh, it was a really, really cool encounter and it went better than I could have ever expected. And it was su- a super fun way to uh, weave a lot of their backstories into a fight. Oh, definitely. Um, so they were able to get some of that at the same time. Yeah, that's very so cool. It was a lot of fun. Very, very cool. Good job. So I'm looking forward. I've got one session left before my my uh, normal DM December break. We got one session left with uh, each of my groups. Uh, they're both at fairly pivotal points. So I'm excited to see see what happens. Very cool. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to my next session. We're going to start looking at. Uh, well, I mean, if they're going with the breadcrumbs that I've dropped, um, we're looking at going to visit Isgard, which I'm I'm looking forward to. Very cool. Start the next arc. Yep. Exciting. I look forward to hearing about it. Well, but thanks. until then, with that, that is uh, that will wrap up our episode. Episode 79, Ben. Wait, what? I know. <laughs> wild. Uh, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for sending uh questions and feedback and uh the emails and stuff please keep sending those we love hearing from you we love uh generating discussions uh from those those different things so please keep those coming uh and then as always before we get out of here ben why don't you tell everybody where we can be reached you bet uh if like seth you would like to send us an email we have an open email account ready for you. And that would be dndiscussions at gmail.com. As Ryan said, we love hearing from you. So please keep sending those in. Uh, if you want to reach out to us and uh, emails too long or too personal or whatever, you just want to kind of throw it out there in about, uh, I don't know, 280 characters or so while it you know still exists. Uh, send it to us on Twitter. We are at dndiscussions. Uh, you can find us there. Now, if you're looking for Ryan specifically, you can find him. He is at TBKZord. If you're looking for me, I am at Ben Bumhofer. And of course, as always, if you're curious as to what's going on in our other D&D game, the one that uh, we actually uh, put out there on the web for everybody to listen to, plus five to hit, check that out. That is also where, uh, you know, every sort of podcast that you're listening to, like this one, is found. So check out plus five to hit as well as 78 other episodes of Dean discussions. They are out there for your listening pleasure on your podcast platform of choice or dndiscussions.com. Especially the last few. There's some really cool people. Yeah. Basically every guest out. episode we've done is really good. So good. Yeah. The rest of them. You know, it's just the two of us. You don't, you know, don't worry about that, yeah, but the guest whatever. ones really those are good. good. Yeah. Those are great. Yeah. <laughs> Five stars. Five stars for guests. Five stars. Yeah. All right. That is going to be it for us. Uh, until next time, we will, I believe we will be having two more episodes before the end of the year. So keep an eye out for those. And until then, take care and we'll see you soon. Yep. And everybody be good to each other. We'll see you then. <laughs>